Greetings, everyone. My name is Ryan Nichols uh, with Grace Community Church in Deerfoot. And if you're like me, you've probably recognized that our culture in America is changing rapidly and not always for the best, it seems. Uh, these changes are affecting our families, politics, even sports are not immune from these changes. But how are these changes affecting our churches and specifically our younger people in our churches? Uh, if that's a topic you'd like to hear more about, uh, we'd love to invite you out for a free event. Uh, we're going to be hosting Josh McDowell to kick off our Connect 2020 conference. Uh, he'll be speaking March 1st at 9 a.m. and at 10.45 a.m. Uh, Josh is one of the well-known, uh, recognized uh, Christian author speakers of the last 50 years. Uh, he has written over 20 books. Uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict is a book you might have read. Uh, it was rated as one of the most influential Christian books uh, in the 20th century. Uh, he's spoken to well over a million people uh, in countries all over the world. Uh, Josh is uh, really well known for his research, and so we know he's going to break down this subject. If you're interested, we just uh, ask that you go to our website. We'll post a link at the end of this video. And RSVP, let us know uh, which service you'd like to attend. And we look forward to seeing you guys out there at Connect 2020. Good morning. All right, thank you, B, for sharing, uh, doing that video for us. Uh, so exciting times uh, for our missions conference this year, um, and we're looking forward to that. So first, if you would, there are sign-up sheets uh, for you to let us know if you are making the 9 or 1045 service for Josh McDowell. Um, I actually did mine this past week online. You can uh, also do that online. There's a link, uh, Facebook, et cetera, for that. Uh, there will be a Connect Serve Day. So you've got another clipboard that you can sign. I think these clipboards were specifically purchased for this, so let's not waste that. Um, so we're going to have a Serve Day. I believe it's going to be at the Christian Service Mission, uh, if I remember correctly. There are also T-shirts for that. So the envelopes go with the T-shirts. This Connect theme, uh, we are wanting to see that continue and move forward. Uh, this, this is going to be a thing. So you're going to have Connect Serve Days. All right, so these T-shirts will be used more than once. Uh, so be sure to, to uh, get that as well uh, if you can and see us. Uh, if you have never had a tri-blend T-shirt, it is fantastic. You will enjoy it. All right, you'll be able to work better in it. Uh, there's also brochures, so be sure to pick that up and move forward with that. One thing I want to focus on is March 7th, we're going to have a, uh, our concert, our Connect concert, March 7th. Uh, we're going to have food trucks, about 4.30 um, starting up, uh, we're going to have a concert that lasts for a couple hours. Uh, so this is going to be a very cool thing. What I'm asking for is for volunteers for, um, for cardboard testimonies uh, at the end of that concert. Um, if you are aware what a, car a cardboard testimony is, great. If not, I will easily explain it to you. Uh, we're going to have a couple of of uh, meetings related to that, um, the 20th, February 23rd and March uh, 1st. Uh, so see me or sign up for that. I would love to have 30 to 40 volunteers um, if you would like to be a part of that. So any questions, let myself be or anybody with the missions committee know. All right, thank you.
Thank you, Kevin, and good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning, and I trust you're prepared to worship the Lord. That's why we're here today, is to worship Him. And I wanted to begin uh, our time together reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. So if you could go with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's, um, let's read about this great salvation that we have. And so if you'd stand as I read 1 Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, and undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, because of this salvation, which is a great salvation, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, the Lord has called us, if we're Christ today, to live lives that are separate, separate from the world. You know, we ought to look different, smell different, act different. Uh, we are different. And, you know, as time goes on, one of the things I think that we appreciate is that while the Lord is working around the world and saving souls, man, it's, it's a tough mission field here in the United States. And people are comfortable. and They don't believe they need God for anything. But we know different, don't we? We need the Lord. And so let's be faithful to live lives that are, are pleasing uh, to him. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we confess to you that we need you every day. Moment by moment, Lord. We can't live a minute without you. Although we do try, it happens. Uh, the battle is there constantly. And um, I pray that we would be submissive to your spirit. Every day we wake up, we would have the desire to be controlled by your spirit. And that um, when people ask us, hey, what's different about you? That we're able to express with joy inexpressible that we belong to Christ. That this life is going by really quick. And we're not promised another life. You graciously have given us this hour, right now, this moment. I pray we take full advantage of it to worship together. And I pray that our minds are here, Lord. There are so many distractions, even on a Sunday. Um, help us to have our minds clear this morning so that we're able to focus on worshiping our Creator, our God. Um, I just want to pray for a couple of people in our fellowship. I, I pray for Scott Briggs. I thank you for what you're doing in his life. We pray phys- physically for his recovery, for the surgery he's had. We just commit him to you, Lord. It's been a long road for Scott. And uh, all of us know that, know him. And so we commit him and we commit Sue to you as she uh, helps to take care of Scott. And um, Lord, we just uh, commit Buddy uh, to you, Buddy Seal and his family. Uh, His mom went to be with the Lord yesterday, went to be with you. And I just want to thank you, Lord, that she's there with you now. I thank you for the peace and comfort that that gives to the family. But I do pray for their hearts, Lord, and just um, just to be with them during this time. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that um, one of the things you tell us in your word is that we have each other. We have you first, but we have each other. And I pray we would be obedient to the, to the one another passages to encourage one another, to come alongside one another when there's hurt, uh, painful things going on, or that we might be uh, just an encouragement to, to the believers who need it just at the right time. Thank you for spirit that guides us and leads us. And I pray this morning that you would be pleased with what's done in the name of Christ. Amen.
offering of praise. Excuse me. <laughs> it must have been something I ate. Uh, but anyway, we come together to give an offering. You know, we, no more sacrifices. We don't need any more sacrifices. That's been done once and for all. Amen? Amen. So we want to come together. The offering we can offer is an offering of praise. So let's all stand. Let's sing on that song. We sing, shout to the north. Let's sing, sing that song together. strong when you feel weak in your brokenness complete everybody join sing of my reaper. Let's sing this together. 
Says to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name. It talks about the fact that he paid the price and made me free. That's what Christ is all about. That's why we're here to worship. That's why we're here to offer the offering of praise this morning. And the fact of the matter is, is everything was done by God himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And there seems to have to be a signature to a contract, right? Every time there's something, a covenant or a contract, it needs to be a signature. And so Christ signed that contract that he would give his life for each one of us because we, we would have to give it. 
if, if he didn't. But he paid the price for us, and he made us free. And he signed that. He signed that with a special, special way. He signed it with his own blood. As the choir sings this song right here, just think about it. And just thank the Lord for what he has done for you today. As he paid the price for your sin and mine.
Thank you, choir. We appreciate uh, your ministry, and it sure is nice to be loved, isn't it? When I came out of um, surgery on the 3rd of December, um, they were trying to wake me up because I was taking a good nap, you know, that's what happens. In surgery, they put you under so you're not feeling the saw that's penetrating your chest, things like that. So, I woke up and it was like I was looking in a tunnel. Um, and at the end of the tunnel, I saw this bearded man named Buddy. And I heard this voice, the voice I've heard for 35 plus years. It was Teresa. And I said, Lord, where am I? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, It would probably take me, uh, it's been 11 weeks Tuesday. It would probably take me 11 Sundays to kind of summarize what the Lord's been doing in my life. Um, The title of the message this morning is Things to Ponder. Now, that's not a word we use too often, ponder. You don't tell your children, go to your room and ponder these things. I mean, you might, but if you do, please let me know after the service. Um, But the word um, ponder is an interesting word if you do it study on the word, which I thought, well, the Lord brought a mind, so I'm going to do a study on the word. The word ponder means to weigh in the mind. It means to consider something deeply and thoroughly. Much like you would if you were going to purchase a house. You just don't ride up to the house that's for sale, the first one you see, and say, that's the one. It might be the one, but you're going to give some thought to it. You're going to look at the house. You're going to check out the foundation of the home. You're going to look at the structure inside and what's going on with the home. You're not just going to go up and say, here's $150,000. I want that home. You ponder it. You weigh the decision. You think about it. And you think about it deeply. It's something that you think through thoroughly. That's what the Lord's had me doing in the last 11 weeks. He's had me pondering. Uh, There's two statements that right away the Lord had me go to. When I first was able to get my Bible and begin reading, um, he led me to the book of Job. I mean, that's just the first book that came to my mind, the book of Job. And it's not because I believe I was suffering. I'm not sure we define that all right. Um... Even though I was having, I had surgery and whatever, I didn't think of, I never had the thought, in the last 11 weeks, I suffered. I never had that thought. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know, I just never had the thought that I was suffering. Um, I had the thought that my life changed some. I had the thought, wow, that's a surprise, when the doctor said, hey, we're going to have to do four bypasses on you. I was like, well, all right. Uh, there isn't much choice there, but I never thought of it as suffering. Um, But I did think of the book of Job. That's what came to my mind. And I was like, okay, Lord, why do you want me in Job? Um, And so I read the first two chapters, and I couldn't go to chapter 3. 
and were two particular statements that just kind of hit me right in the face. And I'm like, Lord, I, I'm going to have to deal with these statements. And it's more about learning from the life of Job, really. Because if I was to ask each, each of you, what's your definition of suffering? Uh, you'd give me different definitions, right? And some people view physical health as suffering, and for some people it is. They suffer, they do suffer. Um, I watched my mom go through some times of suffering with cancer. When she was suffering, we see people that do suffer with I just never had that. I didn't, I really, I can't say, yeah, that happened to me. What I can say is that it caused me to think about some things in my life. It caused me to think about the first 55 years that God gave me. Um, I've been saved twice. Once when I was seven and once when I was 55. Once when I was seven, nothing tops that. But I was saved at 55. And you know, my doctor, my heart surgeon told me on my, in my follow-up appointment the fifth week, I went to him and he said, Dad, the Lord just well done with you. Oh, well, that's pretty good. You know, we, we have things that happen in our lives that are unforeseen. You know, we don't know what's around every corner. So you see the subtitle is when the unexpected shows up. It shows up every day. You know there are people that get up and go to work. They expect to go home, and sometimes they don't get home. It happens. The unexpected happens with children, doesn't it? It happens. And we long for answers. You know, why? And what's going on? You know, the, the age-old question, why do the godly suffer? All I can make out from the first two chapters in Job is that God allows things in our lives. And I can't demand an explanation from him. He owes me no explanation. Because if I'm a believer in Christ and I understand life itself, every single breath I take is a gift from God. Every breath. So, when the unexpected shows up in our lives, how do we handle it? Can I tell you something right away? People are watching you when the unexpected happens. Make no mistake about it. You say, well, it's just because you're the pastor. Wrong. The unexpected happened in the life of Job. You know who was watching? His wife. You know, she gets a lot of criticism. We'll probably talk a little more about her next week. By the way, just so you know, um, this is a two-week series. I don't know why you're laughing, but it's a two-week series, and there's no pressure to fill out the outline today. So those of you who think, I've got to get through this entire thing today, pray be we don't have to. But Job had a loss in his life, major losses we're going to see, but so did his wife. And in chapter 1, we don't hear from his wife. It's not until we get to chapter 2 when Job has these boils on his body that we hear from her. 
So we have to be careful not to just throw her in chapter 1. Right? She's there. She has loss, but she doesn't respond until Job is physically has the boils on his body. There's two statements that the Lord just had me consider, and they're both found in chapter 2. So this is the way we're going to handle it. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3, but we're going to go back to chapter 1. Is that all right? Good. Uh, Even if it's not all right, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 3. We're going to look at what it says, and then in these two weeks, kind of refer back to what went on with Job. Chapter 2, verse 3. Look what it says. The Lord said to Satan, by the way, this is the second time that he makes this statement to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. That's quite a statement. No one like him on the earth. A blameless. In some translations, if you have the King James, it says perfect. A blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. This is the first statement that got me. He still holds fast his integrity. Say, what's the big deal? All right, so Job has integrity. But that's not what is said. Job has integrity. It says he still holds fast. His integrity. So, you have to look up the word holds fast. It means to be firm. It means to be strong. The word pictures the strong sound of a trumpet. I always wanted to play the trumpet in high school. My lips were too big, right? So guess what? I played the trombone. My lips were just right for that. But don't you love the sound of a trumpet blaring? You know, it's, it's awesome. I mean, sometimes we hear the national anthem and, and somebody will be playing a trumpet and it's like, wow, do that again. It's an awesome instrument. And so when we think of a trumpet, we don't think of an oboe. We think of a trumpet and the sound of a trumpet. It's loud, it's strong. And so the Lord says here of Job, he still holds fast his integrity. In other words, the Lord is saying Job is still trumpeting his integrity. It's out there for people to see. Some might say, well, what's the big deal? Okay, so the Lord says he holds fast his integrity. Well, you have to look at the context. There are things that have transpired in the life of Job up to this point. And so when you get to that statement, he still holds fast integrity, it's like, whoa! What an example for us. Because when you consider the loss in Job's life and his wife's life, you look at the response of God to Job and you just go, wow. It makes us have to consider... How do we handle the unexpected events in our lives? 
I watched my mom. I'll never forget the doctor's appointment. And we're in Little Rock, Arkansas, and she goes into the doctor's office, and the doctor said the cancer is back, and this time it's back to stay. How do you respond to that? Because in her mind, the cancer was gone. It wasn't coming back. I watched my mom live to the glory of the Lord for three years. Perfectly? No. <laughs> Who is? But her way of life was to give glory to God. So we have to consider what's going on in Job's life. Well, let's read beginning in verse 6 of chapter 1. Because this ties to this statement, he still holds fast his integrity. Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So immediately when you think of that statement, your mind is taken to 1 Peter chapter 5 where it talks about our adversary. You don't need to turn to I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. Peter says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, your adversary. The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He's walking around on the earth seeking someone to devour. By the way, if you look at the strategy of Satan, it hadn't changed a whole lot. Have you noticed that people still struggle with the question that Satan posed in the garden? Has God really said? So when we struggle for the answers, we don't go to the wisdom of men. We go to the word of God. So we go to the Word of God when it comes to marriage. How does God define it? We go to the Word of God when it comes to life. What does God say about life? So, Satan answered the Lord, roaming about on the earth, walking around on it. Look at verse 8. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It's interesting that the Lord brings Job to Satan. <laughs> now look what it says. For there is no one like him on the earth. Same thing that is said in chapter 2, verse 3. There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But, he says... Put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. <laughs> That's a strong statement. And then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Remember what it says, chapter 2, verse 3? He still holds fast his integrity. You know what? Satan miscalculated. 
There was a deeper relationship there. It wasn't surfacy. It was deep. We know that because there's evidence later on in chapter 1. Job had a deep relationship with his God. What does it mean to have a deep relationship with God? Isn't that a good question? It's a good question. I always hear that word deep. Well, it's a deep message. Okay, what do you mean? Here's the, you know what a deep message is? A deep message is something connected to this. It starts here and ends here. That's deep. You say, well, how in the world can I have a deep relationship with the Lord? You got to be in the book. If there's one thing in the last 11 weeks that the Lord has taught me, Thad, stay in the book. First week, I wasn't able to get in the book a whole lot. I was trying to come out of this anesthesia, and the little hospital food is nasty. I just want to publicly thank the Lord for Anthony Barella. He came to my room, him and Trish, and they visited me on Sunday, and I hadn't hardly eaten a thing. He said, Dad, what sounds good? I said, anything but this food. He said, what sounds really good? I said, a vanilla shake. That sounds really, really good. He said, I'll be right back. And do you know what that man did, him and his wife? He went right down to McDonald's, brought me that vanilla shake. And I think if somebody would have t- tried to take that shake out of my hand, I'd come out of that bed. Man, it was so good. Satan miscalculated the depth of the relationship. So if we're going to be deep with the Lord, we have to be in the book. People say, I want to get closer to Christ. Get a book. By the way, if you want to get closer to Christ, read the Gospels. You'll find out about your Savior. So Satan miscalculates, but the Lord gives him permission, doesn't he? Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons, look at verse 13. And daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. By the way, we're going to talk more about the children next week. A messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters... Seven sons, three daughters. It appears to me from the text, we'll speak more about this next week, that Job had a pretty close family. The the sons seem to include the daughters. By the way, that doesn't always happen, does it? Right? With siblings. (laughs) But that's going on here. While he's still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters... We're eating and drinking wine in their older, older brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you 
By the way, there's no two-minute warning for Job that says, Hey, Job, this is what's coming down the pike. It just comes. December 2nd, I went. I was just going to have an arteriogram. It's really a cool thing. I, I learned something. I tell you this. 90% of men, they can go through the wrist. Only in 60% of women. Just kind of static I can throw out there to you. That's what I learned. Well, they're taking it in my wrist, and they're coming up here, and he told me, he said, Thad, tell me if you can feel this. Don't worry, I had that mind, right? So he's going up here, and it's not feeling too great, and he gets to about right here and said, hey, I can feel that. To which he told the anesthesiologist, give him a little more. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Give him a little more. It was quite hilarious, actually. Because I was anticipating being able to go through the whole thing, but I couldn't go through the whole thing. And then when I came out, there was a surprise. I wasn't expecting the doctor to say, hey, you need four bypasses. Your back arteries clogged 100%. The others are 90 and 80 something. He told Teresa, he said, I could stint him, but there be, I could, it'd be everywhere. And Teresa, without my permission, says, give him the surgery. <laughs> That's what he'd want. She's in the nurse today. Hey, hon. <laughs> but she knew. I had a little warning. I had Monday, that afternoon and night. I knew what was coming. Job didn't. And I look at this, and I just go, I marvel at the way he responds. So when we come down to chapter 2, verse 3, and the Lord himself says he still holds fast his integrity, that is a very incredible statement. In fact, you know, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Our culture blames God all the time. We shouldn't. There was not one time where I even thought about that. You had a peace through the whole thing. I don't know if it was the medicine in me on that Monday night, but when they came to get me that Tuesday morning, they said, you're going to be the first case, 5 o'clock, and they came in the room and they got me. I, had, I, just, I was at perfect peace. You know, when you're in that, I don't know that you can always forecast, this is how I'm going to respond if I'm laying on a table and this is what they're telling me they're going to do to me. But I was at peace. And I just want to publicly thank God for that. Because you know what? I've been in therapy for the last four to five weeks, I guess. 
And man, there's people that have open-heart surgery all the time. They're all around me. There's this one man that's in the therapy who is scared to death. You know what? That's real. He's scared to death. He is literally scared to death. He's already had stints, but they're anticipating that maybe if he doesn't improve, he would have to have open-heart surgery. He's scared to death. He's told me. He's told the nurse. He's told everybody. Now, look, you can be scared to death. This guy is scared because I believe this. He doesn't have hope. That's the difference between us and them. You know that, right? <laughs> this is funny. The lady asked me when I was laying on the bed. <laughs> I guess it was Monday, some shit. Now, Thad, um, when was the last time you were in a surgery? I said, wearing a gown like this? And she said, yes. I said, when I was seven. If you'd asked me five years ago, Thad, you ever going to have open heart surgery? No, man, I eat just fine. I eat Susan's oatmeal cookies. I just don't eat the raisins. I probably should have eaten the raisins. Maybe that would have saved me, right? A friend of mine... Um, in New York, had something come across his plate he wasn't expecting. 46 years old, five kids. Cancer. You know, as believers, we're responsible for the way we respond. How does that sound to you? It's true. His name is Tim. Tim was a good friend of mine. Had some of his kids in my youth group. Man, it was hard. I remember the first time I went to his house. I was kind of in shock like I reading Job. He said um, to me and Pastor Stam, he said, guys, the forecast is not looking good. They tell me I could be dead within six months. He said, um, would you guys mind coming every week and studying the Bible with me? Oh, my goodness. And you know, his kids, they saw how he responded to adversity, to suffering, to the unexpected, whatever you want to call it. Probably for 12 to 15 weeks, every week, Phil and I went to his house and opened the Word. We did it to the point where he just couldn't do it anymore. And then we went and read to him. But you know what? His wife saw and his kids saw. See, people are looking. They're looking. And so when the Lord makes a statement like he does about Job, we marvel. We say, wow. He still holds fast his integrity. In fact, so much so that he didn't sin and he didn't blame God. You've probably heard it out of the mouth of some Christians at times and they blame God. That's a hard, by the way, that's a hard moment. Don't try to come up with some fancy answer at that moment. Sometimes you have to just let people talk. Let them work through their theology. 
Because even this morning to say, well, we're all on the same page. Yeah, when it comes to the gospel, I hope we are. But when it comes to the life of sanctification and how, and this is very important, and how God allows things in our lives. I mean, if you ever wanted to say, hey, Lord, why did you allow that one? But you know what? He is primarily interested in conforming us to the image of his son, period. Period. Some people go, well, that's not fair. I don't, I can't explain to parents that lose their children when they're in their teens. I can't, I can't do that. I can't explain a child dying. I can't, I can't do that. You know what I can say? The only thing I can say is I believe God is on the throne. He's been there. He's there now. And he's going to be there. And it's not always going to make sense to our minds. Well, let's look at one more thing. Can we do that? Good. Look what it says, chapter 2, verse 3, because the Lord begins to talk about his servant, Job. What does he say about him? Look at the first thing this morning. What does the text tell us about Job? That the Lord says. Notice what it says. The first, he says, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? So, some might just gloss over that and say, Well, okay, Job was a servant of the Lord. Well, hey, look, there's a lot there. There's a lot there just in that word. First of all, notice that the Lord identifies Job as my servant. As like pronouns, there's one right there. My is a pronoun. My servant. Job is my servant. Do you know, if you go to chapter 1, he says the same thing. Chapter 2, he says the same thing. You go to chapter 42, and there's at least three times where he calls him my servant again. And that's after all you have in the book of Job. He was a servant of the Lord. So... It poses the question, are you a personal servant of the Lord? We all have to consider that. Are we personal servants of the Lord? And if we are, this is kind of how I think it works itself out. If I'm a personal servant of the Lord, it's kind of like when Jesus was talking to his disciples about what it means to be a disciple. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. That's what a servant does. When you read through the life of the Apostle Paul, what was he most interested in? The glory of the Lord, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not Arkansas football. I wish one of you was at least interested in that here. He describes Job as my servant. But what's interesting is the definition. Definition. The definition of the word servant in the Hebrew is a man in bonds to another. It means one who willingly serves another. 
Could it be said in a church that we should never have to ask for servants? It could be said. <laughs> Doesn't mean how it happens, but it could be said. Because who can anticipate this to be true? In a congregation, we need people who are going to serve the Lord. Now, what does that take? It takes the mindset of denying self. Because it's not always something you may want to do. Take up your cross because there could be suffering involved and follow Christ. So, part of that definition is one who willingly serves another. For example, there's one, there's several there. But in Joshua, in the 24th chapter... It should say verses 14 and 15. It only says 14. I apologize. But here we have an example of a man. And what's interesting about this is this man stands apart to Israel and says, Look, as for me and my house. He didn't just say for me. He says, For me and my house will serve the Lord. Do you know, you make that statement about, as a, by the way, who makes that kind of statement? A spiritual leader. You know what we're lacking today in homes? Spiritual leaders who are willing to be different to say, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. We're not serving self. We're serving the Lord. Now, that's easy to say. Boy, is that hard to do. Especially in this culture. When everybody's so busy and, and the activities are right in front of us. And, and, and a lot of times, there's nothing wrong with the activities. It's just getting the priorities straight. But did you know you can even serve the Lord in a busy schedule? Did you know that? You can serve the Lord in your extracurricular activities. Did you know that? It can happen. It happened for Teresa and myself at Clay Chapel High School when our boys were playing baseball. It's a mission field. That's what it was. Nothing wrong with the activity. I loved watching my boys play baseball. They were a lot better than their dad was when he was a little guy. Bigger, too. They were just big. My big boys. I loved watching them. But that, listen, when we went to that ballpark... Teresa and I, as for me and my house, it's not just serving the Lord right here. See, and I think that's the mentality sometimes. It's with my life. So wherever you are, you're sitting in the cubicle, right? You're sitting at school. It doesn't matter. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yesterday, I wasn't even going to mention this. Yesterday, I was at a, a basketball tournament and, um, at Sanford. And East Central has basketball teams. And a lot of our kids are involved at East Central. And, and our youth leaders were there watching those kids. And I'm thinking, hey, they're making a statement to their kids. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. You say, well, you can serve the Lord at a basketball game? Yes, you can. Through your attitude, through your actions. Because guess who are the worst at games? Parents. Not the kids. The parents. Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
I love that statement. Well, the word not only has the idea of serving, but it has the idea of worship. And we'll end here today. It has the idea of worship. It's a worshiper of God. <coughs> Abraham, Joshua, David, Job, Joshua, name them. Servants of God, worshipers, worshipers of God. You say, where do you see that? Chapter 1. Go back to chapter 1. Look at chapter 1 of Job. Now, sometimes people worship at the oddest times. Right? You imagine what it's like for a pagan to walk into a Christian funeral. You ever thought about that? I mean, really? Ever thought about that? And we're standing up singing Amazing Grace, and these people are going, What in the world are these people doing? That person's dead. And as Christians, we're going, No. That's just their shell. They're with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, I mean, the pagans looking at us and going, these people are really weird. And you know, a lot of times funerals, not only are they saying that, but they can't wait to get out of there. By the way, the funerals are a great place for the gospel. Give them the truth. So sometimes there's this worship thing going on and times where you're going, what are you doing? Well, guess what? Job has just lost his servants and his possessions and all ten children at one time. Losing one is... I haven't had that happen, but there are people in here who have. How difficult is that? I can't explain that. I don't know where they're walking. I hurt for them. But here's a man that lost ten children at one time with no warning. And what do we find him doing? Worshiping the Lord. That's crazy, isn't it? You almost have to read that over and over and over again. But look at what it says. Chapter 1, verse 20. And then Job arose... And tore his robe and shaved his head. By the way, you can't skip that. Because the man is what? He's grieving. That's what happens when you lose children. You grieve. When you lose people you love, you grieve. I remember telling a congregation of people years ago when I did my mom's, mom's funeral, Louise Almond was awesome. The greatest giver I've ever known. She had the gift of giving. And I remember telling the congregation, you know what we're going to miss? We're going to miss her presence. We're not going to miss the suffering that she was going through, but we sure miss her presence. We miss the presence of loved ones, don't we? Let's be honest. We do. I miss my mom. I mean, yesterday I walk in the house and I have two or three pictures Throughout the house, my mom, one's on a bookcase, and for some reason I just caught, the, my eye caught that yesterday, and, and I'm like, man, I miss my mom. I'd really like to just say something to her. I was telling somebody this morning, I don't, 
I don't know how all of it works. But I've said before, you might think I'm just nuts. I am. But I've said before to the Lord, Lord, I don't know how this all works, but say hello to my mom. Miss her. Job and his wife lost ten children without any warning. And what we have in chapter 1 is an amazing response. He grieves, yes, but then notice what he does. The Bible says he fell to the ground in humility. That's the attitude here. He falls to the ground and he worships. <laughs> My goodness. And he says two things that are very important. First of all, Job knew he came into the world with nothing. And he was going to go out of the world with what? Nothing. By the way, there's probably just a little bit there for us to consider. Are we living like that? In other words, not just piling it up, but our mind is this. Hey, I came in naked and I'm going out with nothing. That's exactly what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. He's going back to dust, he's going to the ground. You've been to funerals where people act like they can take stuff with them? You ever been to those? I understand that, you know, there's grief and I get that, but for the believer, there ought to be a perspective that's biblical. I come in, and they hold me up, and I'm naked. I go out of this world, and I don't have anything I'm taking with me. Job understood that. But notice the second thing Job understands. He understood that the Lord was in control. He was sovereign. Look what it says. The Lord gave. Wow. I mean, think about the context. I mean, the guy has lost all his children, he and his wife. And he says, the Lord gave. Listen, our children are what? They're gifts from God. Gifts. They get to be teenagers and we want to use a different word. Lord, this is a gift. <laughs> they are. You know, and they get to the point, hopefully, where you're their friend. Uh, I don't know how you think about that, but... I've got three boys that are my friends. And they're all so different. Man, they're different. But they're my friends. Job understood that the Lord was the giver. And notice what he says. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. <laughs> Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He still held fast to his integrity. You guys, all of us are going to have things that come around the corner that are unexpected. We're going to have them. Sick kids, sick husbands, sick wives. We don't know what's around the corner, but we know who is around the corner. Let's pray together.
Lord, we're not always going to understand what's going on. I really didn't have much time to think about what was going on with me. And you know, I look at it and I go, thank you for saving me again. I just want to say in front of you in the presence of these witnesses, we sang, the song was sung that's been written and read. I first of all want to thank you for your love for us. can be measured because you stretched out your arms on the cross. You bled for us. You died for us. Our public want to express to you thanks for this body of believers. I just thank you for their service to me and my family over the last 11 weeks and before that, but I thank you for their love and their support. I just want to thank you most of all. I think, I say most of all, but I want to thank you for taking me to Job and having me consider the couple of statements that I just can't get them out of my mind. I mean, this, this book almost begins like a fairy tale. Once upon a time in the land of us. But that's, we know, Lord, that this is your word. And we know what your word tells us in the New Testament. We have examples in the Old Testament of people that lived for you, and then sometimes they didn't. Most theologians believe Job lived during the patriarchal period. And we, we look at this man and we marvel at his initial response. And yet we know the middle part of the book. There was some why there. Where have you gone? I love the way you responded, Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God, I thank you that the book begins and ends with you calling Job your servant. I pray that our life would be like that. That the day of salvation, beyond, you're able to call us your servant. And that when we see you in all your glory, you'll be able to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Lord, give us a mind to ponder these things to not let them just fall by the wayside but for us to think about when the unexpected happens how we respond and help us to know how important it is Lord if we're going to respond in a way that's pleasing to you we need to be attached to you we need to be close abiding in you Thank you for our time together this morning. It's in the name of Christ. And for his sake I pray. Amen. Let's close out today with uh, singing about his wonderful grace. Let's sing this together.
prayed the whole time. Oh, you want me to get up and say something? Don't let me get emotional. You didn't do it again. But, <coughs> excuse me, I could hold myself. I'm going to have you back. First of all, we love you. Tremendous, tremendous message. But something is really on my heart. I've got to share it with all of y'all. And uh, just dear family right here in the Gilberts. Friday, uh, I think it's Friday, I think. Uh, Valentine's Day, and uh, I was busy, and uh, on the phone, I think, at the time I saw him, but anyway, I was busy. My mind was on a bunch of things, and I was glancing down, but not glancing down. I seen this pretty, precious little girl. And she just come up, she was standing looking at me, but I was still doing other things. And I knew, I felt like she wanted to talk to me or say something. And, and finally, I looked down and smiled at her, and she, she smiled at me and melted me. And uh, then I looked up, I didn't really recognize him at first, I just saw him, and then I recognized uh, uh, Jessica, first of all, Seth, I want to thank you for your family because he was at work, but this family was there giving Valentine's out to older people there. And uh, the older folk, and boy, they love it, you know. And I've spent a lot of time in uh, nursing homes in uh you think that they're bothersome and, you know, sometimes a place don't smell real good. But those people need us. They need ministering to because a lot of them are forgot. But this family, they sang to all these people too. Then... Uh, she was talking to me, asked me why I was there. <coughs> you know, was explaining to her. She looked at me, she said, can we come in and sing for y'all? And I said, well, Mom, probably won't she said, I don't know. We want to minister you and your, your family. And I was blown away. I was blown away. And they came in. 
the whole family came in and sang Amazing Grace. And, you know, Mom might heard it, might not heard it. I don't know at the time. But when I think of my mom now, I'll never forget that family because they did something that God burned in my heart that we're all supposed to be doing. Everything you said and the message. And man, I sit here and I'm trying to say, God, don't let me get up. God, don't let me get up. And friends, don't kill me. Won't you find out it is? Because y'all will blabber to her. But couldn't happen. I can't. I cannot tell what blessing that was, and not share it with all of you, because I love y'all, and I want you to know that people do minister, and how much it does minister everybody, not just one or two people. That's what we're all about. We all need one another, and those times you never know how God's going to use it with you. But I'm telling you, every time I think of my mom, that family will be a picture in my eye. And I'm going to tell you one more. I, I, I know I'm going to lie. My heart's full. The music, the message, being here with you people just melts me away. And it ministered me just to be here to be able to praise God with y'all. Knowing my mom's there with your mom. They might even be talking about how crazy me and you are. <laughs> and, uh, have you ever thought of that? <laughs> how crazy you are, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to try to make it some quick. But as I was there with Mom a lot, and I told some of them last night about it, and there's this black lady, and all she keeps saying is, Lord, help me, Lord, all day long, you know. she's I don't know if she's in her right mind or not, but she's saying the right thing. And uh, Lord, help me, praise Lord, you know, so it ain't wrong. And then she's in her mind enough to know where her help is. But God just burned it on my heart. I hear, heard it all day, and it started out a nuisance to me, you know, because I was in there talking to Mom, and, and all of a sudden God prompted me, you get up, you go over there and pray with that woman. And I went over, had some prayer time with her, and talked to her a little bit, and I got through and that dear lady said, can I hug you? And she gave me a big old hug. But Lord taught me a lesson there. When we go, wherever we go, and when we take life for granted, or we take people for granted, and we don't think they're listening or they're hearing or nothing, you know, that's wrong. And I'm saying this to myself, you know, because these people hurt. And they can hear you because the lady next uh, over about five chairs from her said, Amen, brother. Amen, brother. And and they just all chime in and, and they love 
the prayer time with them and the attention and the the love. I want y'all to understand. Love. Everybody loves to be loved. So, and I'm not getting on anybody. That's just my heart today. And when you when you go to places, always show respect to people, even uh, if it's your own family and they don't seem like a coherent or anything. We don't know what they can hear or can't hear. But I thank y'all very, very much for the, what y'all did to me and my family and Brenda. And uh, that, I love your family. I love, well, I love all of them. I can't lie, but but one thing bothered me is, is when they say a lot of them got on to me today. I got up a couple of weeks ago in fun that when you stood up, you were on camera, and they we were all on camera. We don't want to be on camera. You're gonna have to go over by yourself somewhere. <laughs> But it made me think, I hope we never come to the point that we don't have the freedom as Christians and brothers and sisters to get up and share what God has on our heart. And when God prompts us that we have the freedom to get up and just share it with others, you know, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about all of us, you know. We're family. And... God's cameras, that's what kept going in my mind a while ago. God's camera's always on us. And uh, I can't get away from it. I might not like me standing up, but if God prompts me, I'm going to get up. I'm going to give glory and praise to him. Sorry, Andy. Thank you. I'm going to call Brenda when we dismiss, Brenda. We appreciate you sharing, and we're praying for you. And um, thankful that your mom is with the Lord. Um, you know, I was thinking about when he was talking about the Gilberts ministering. You know, one of my mom's most precious memories was when Steve Saint came to my house. She loved Steve Saint and loved that story, loved that family. I remember the first time I told her Steve Saint was going to be at our church. She said, Steve Saint? I said, Steve Saint, Mom. She says, I will be there. But, you know, Steve's had his physical challenges, and he was having some then, and he made the effort to come see my mom at the house. You know, you just never know how the Lord's going to use you when you're willing and available. And it goes back to what we said about Job, what the Bible says. He was God's servant. So help us, Lord, to be open and available. When the opportunities arise, don't think you have to be somebody. As long as you belong to the Lord, you're good. You're good. So let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you this morning for our time. And Lord, I do thank you for um, his heart and just sharing with us, Lord. And it's full right now, and he's going to miss the presence of his mother. But I'm thankful to know that she's in your presence right now. Help us, Lord, um, to be aware of the opportunities you give us to share with others 
about the difference that you have made and are making in our lives. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Time out. Time out. This can be on camera. I don't care. Time out.